Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Father, thank you for this morning, Lord. Thank you that we have an opportunity to be in your presence in the house of the Lord and to celebrate Jesus Christ as Lord and King over this house. Thank you for the kingdom that's being established in our hearts, Lord. We do not want to offend. We do not want to violate and walk contrary to your kingdom. We pray that your peace would be established in our hearts as your word finds its place. We pray that you prosper your word in our hearts, that we not sin against you. We pray, Father God, that you instruct us through your Holy Spirit and lead us to the triumph and the glory of being covered by your grace and goodness. We give you thanks that we have been called to be the light of the world. We give you thanks, Lord, that we're called to be a peculiar, different people. We give you thanks, Lord, that we're to be the light of the world. And we pray that you bring clarity in our thoughts. You bring joy into our hearts. That you bring strength into our step. So that we might accept the challenge, O oh God, to stand out and to be different and to be a reference in our day. We pray that your word might help us to this cause. And we pray, Father God, that we might walk in a manner which is worthy of our call. That we might please you with every thought, every word, and every action in the expression and the manifestation of your kingdom upon the earth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Last week we were talking about world-changing faith and rule. We're talking about government because some people have lost sight of the fact that that is what the kingdom of God is. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, the prayer that he taught his followers were, Thy kingdom come and thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. The word kingdom is a dominium. That's what the second part of kingdom is. A domain that is overseen by a king. A ruling sovereign entity who sits upon his throne. I hope that you have a relationship with Jesus that's more than just a friend. He is a king that rules over his kingdom. He is a king who rules over his subjects, which means those who come underneath, not by obligation or force, but by voluntary surrendering of the will, where you say, yes, Lord, you be my king. One of the, one of the powerful things about coming underneath the leadership of Jesus Christ is where he rules and reigns, there is peace. The opposite is anxiety. Where he rules and reigns, there is joy. People don't know what the source of, of true joy is. True joy is found in that place written in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 9. Everyone who's getting high, doing drugs, into alcoholism, trying to find the next entertainment, have to find the reality of joy there at the place where you love righteousness and hate wickedness. If you have clarity of what's right and wrong, you will have a heart filled with joy. Because you have loved what is right and hated what is wicked. A lot of people don't understand the word wicked and it just means out of place, twisted. 
things that are not in its proper place. Um, I usually grab a chair to teach people on what the painful experience of wickedness. This chair was created to provide comfort. And if I sit upon it the way it is ordered, I find the joy of rest and, and relaxation. But if I were to twist it around and I become wicked, this is what wicked is, the transformation of things in their legitimate order. When I try to sit down on this chair now, it becomes excruciatingly painful. And it's because it's the work of wickedness to bring pain and the work of righteousness to stop suffering. So when you begin to do what is right and to love it, there was a time in my life that this thing was totally inverted. And I hated to do what was right and loved to do what was wicked. Let's put the verse back up there, please. If you love righteousness and hate wickedness, God, your God, will set you above your companions. And he says, by anointing you with the oil of gladness, the oil of joy. Today we live in a society where this is flipped around. People want to experience joy by being wicked. And this is the New Testament, but if we go as far back as Isaiah in the Old Testament, chapter 5, verse 20, God says there would be judgment upon those who call evil things good. Those who are entertained by wickedness and those things who call good things evil. People don't want church. People don't want to walk in the light of God. They've put darkness for light. They run to nightclubs. They run to, to parties that are wicked. And they have considered light darkness. They're never around. If it was up to them, the lights in church would never go on. Why? They're never here. They're somewhere else. Who put bitter things for sweet and sweet things for bitter. This is the first generation in the existence of candy that we have taught our children to love sour, bitter candy. And we have changed sweet for tart. And the Bible says, whoa, it's not going to go good for these people who have twisted the government of God. And so everything out of his place in Psalm 82, I believe it's verse 5. God says, why are all the foundations of the earth out of place? These people know nothing. They understand nothing. They walk about in darkness and all the foundations of the earth have been shaken. There is no understanding what government is anymore. We seem to despise government. Afghanistan, we said, has 300 tribal militias. Everyone with their own gun making their own decisions. They don't have a government. Everyone does as they please. Those of us that are in the kingdom of God understand there's a king and understand there's only one king. And everyone's doing the desire and the pleasure of the king so that we might experience peace and joy. And so God asked a question here in Psalm 82 verse 1. 
when he's talking about all the foundations being out of place and no one understanding, it says when God comes to preside in the great assembly and when he's going to start drawing things in the place they go, rendering judgment upon the gods, he's not talking about Buddha and Muhammad. He's not talking about Krishna and the Hindu gods. He's talking about those he created to be in his image and likeness. Verse 2, as he presides and takes his place, he asked the question, how long will you begin to defend the unjust and show partiality you favor twisted gods? As, as, as God's kingdom approaches, you can surrender and take the form and the order of his government, or you can say, no, I'm not going to take it. Uh, what, what does a government sound to me like a curse? He's going to come and rule. He's going to come and reign. He's going to tell me that the Lord's day is for the Lord. I have friends of mine that have kidnapped the Lord's day. And they take it to go boating. And they take it to go to the beach. And they take it to go have a picnic. And they take it to go and rest. He says, I work all week long. On the Lord's day will be my day. And they usurp the order of worshiping God. So he asked the question, how long will you continue to favor that which is twisted? Answer that question in your heart this morning. Why do I struggle allowing God to reign in my life? Why do I struggle letting him be Lord over all? One famous preacher said, if the Lord is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Amen. If he's not ruling and reigning, then do not call yourself a Christian. Do not call yourself a believer. The, the, the time where we're going to want to change this is when we're in his presence. Because the Bible says every tongue will confess and every knee shall bow that he is Lord. It's better to start here and surrender and surrender and surrender. And I promise you the question was asked to me this weekend. They said, how do you do the Lord's will? And I said, it's easy. Stop doing your will. That's how you do the Lord's will. Pastor Rivera shared Hebrews 12, verse 2, where it says this takes a transformation of thought. Romans 12, 2, sorry. It takes a transformation. Romans 12, 2, it says, do not be like this world. Do not take the form of how this world lives, but be transformed. Take another form by renewing your thoughts. That's why the Word of God allows you to think like God. It allows you to speak like God and to live like God. It starts in the heart. For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Then, after you surrendered your mind to not be conformed to this world but be transformed, you will be able to prove and to Accept what is God's will that is pleasing and perfect. This existence is that model of a chair when, when you taste and you see what it is to live like God wanted us to live. The question is why did it take us so long to surrender? He is marvelous in all his ways. He is he's a great equalizer across the board. When you do what pleases God, your wife is pleased, your children are pleased, your family prospers, it flourishes, your finances are sufficient, 
You don't want to be lopsided in this world. I have a lot of friends that have a lot of money, and they would give it all in a second if they had a godly wife. They would surrender all their wealth. I have other men that I have met that are huge in fortune and would give it all if they could be with their children. They've been plundered from the greatest experience in life, which is to father children. So we don't want to be lopsided in our ways. We want the kingdom of God to come and to establish his reign and rule, to be sovereign. What is the kingdom of God? How do I find it? There was a man that asked my father one day, the only kingdom that I've ever heard of is the magic kingdom. He lived in that area of Orlando, and so that's why he would tell my dad. He says, the only kingdom I've ever heard is where Mickey lives, the magic kingdom. What are you talking about? He says, there's a kingdom of God. This man packed his bags and his family. He knew he was about to die. He was an engineer for Nassau, for Cape Canaveral. He was a brilliant man, but had never seen the kingdom of God. In John chapter 3, verse 3, a man shows up in the life of Christ and says, listen, I'm convinced that you have come from God. I know. Let's go to verse 2. John 3, 2. He says, he came to Jesus at night, this man. And he says, Rabbi, which is the Hebrew term for teacher. We know that you are a teacher and that you have come from God. You're a messenger that has come to us from God. For no one can perform the manifestations, the signs you are doing if God were not with him. He was trying to understand the kingdom. Um, this weekend as we talked about God's calling for men, a lot of the guys were like, there's one incentive for a man to speak these words. And it's to entice us to come to his craziness. So that's why the, the whole room ran out. And they heard one man can change, a whole man can change a whole nation. Only 15 guys stayed. And I was in heaven. Why was I in heaven? Because I'd rather 15 serious men than 500 clowns. And it only takes one to get something serious to change the world, to change the nations. So I understood that if you stand up in your generation and say, follow me so we can change the world, that has to be something kooky. That has to be like, what, what, this, this is a joke. But when the, man's, the 15 men sat there for a 50-minute session, they all stood up with a different paradigm. With a different understanding of why we're upon the earth. What God wants. And this man is asking Jesus the same thing. Why don't you tell us the information we need? Now, if you don't know this man, in verse 1 it says that he was a leader. Let's do that. Verse 1. This man was part of the ruling council. He led the community. And he's going to Jesus saying... Teach me, because I want to be authentic in my existence upon the earth. A lot of people say that he came to Jesus at night because he was frustrated. He was a Pharisee, a leader amongst the Jewish people. And he was not only a Pharisee, which was 
product, probably the elite leaders in Jewish communities, but he sat as a member of the Jewish ruling segment of his day. In verse 2, he comes to Jesus at night because he's depressed. And he's, he's overwhelmed by uh, a lack of understanding why he exists. And he says, we know that you come from God as a teacher, for the things you do are too great if God were not with you. Verse 3, he says, Jesus answered to him and says, listen, Jesus' reply to this man is, you cannot see the reality of my government unless you're born again. You have to have another experience other than to be born in the flesh. You need to be born in the spirit. Verse 4. And he confuses things and says, how can I go into my mother's womb again? Verse 4. How can someone start all over when he's old? Now that becomes a question also. If you go to a men's conference and you have men that are 50, 60, and 70, and you start telling them what a man is supposed to be, the majority of them will have the attitude, go fly a kite. Because my life is almost over, and you're telling me I did it all wrong. But here it is, that Moses was called at the age of 80. He lived 40 years in Egypt, and 40 years in the desert, when God showed up and said, I want you to be my leader for what remains your life. And he became the greatest deliverer of all time. And I know that the men that are 50, 60, and 70 can still leave a legacy that will transform the world. If their sons and grandsons have an opportunity to see a genuine man of God, who cultivates his spirit. And that's what Jesus is saying. He says, it's not like you're going to be able to be 20 or 30 again. How can someone being born, how could, be bo how could someone be born when they are old? And surely they cannot enter again and start all over from their mother's womb. Verse 5, Jesus says, I'm not talking about a physical transformation. I'm talking about a spiritual one. I'll tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom unless you're born again. And no one can enter the kingdom unless they're born of water. Say it with me, water baptism. After you believe. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. What happens when you're baptized before you believe? The devil's wrecking your world. It's like if I were to ask my architect friend, hey, Manny, could you put the roof down before you put the foundations in the walls? He says, no, Joaquin, because when it rains, your, your house will get filled with water. So if Jesus says those who believe and are baptized shall be saved, why did man turn that around and say those who get baptized when they're eight weeks old and don't believe anything and then believe it's the kingdom, it's the same thing with the chair, it's out of order. Jesus got baptized when he was 30, not when he was a child. That's the model, that you might be baptized after you see the kingdom and repent. To get water baptized is something that comes after repentance. 
What repentance does a child need to do? Nothing. He has no conscience of sin. So baptism is for those that are born and repent and then get baptized. So he puts it in that order. Verily I say to you, no one could participate inside this kingdom. You guys know the difference between driving up to the parking lot at the magic kingdom and not going in? That's what a lot of Christians have done. They have come to church, but they're not living inside the kingdom because they haven't been baptized. He says you cannot enter the kingdom unless you're born of the water and born of the spirit. These are marked realities in the life of a Christian man that proceed into the kingdom. Let's go to verse 3 again because you might have missed it. No one can see the kingdom. If you go to the parking lot of the magic kingdom, you could see it. But it does you no good to see the kingdom if you don't enter the kingdom. If you don't enter the kingdom, he's not Lord. He's not king. So he says, as soon as you're born again, as soon as you receive Christ, you can see the kingdom. You could understand the kingdom. I've had friends of mine for years. They're like, I don't see it. I don't see it. I don't see it. And then one day I get a phone call. I see it. I see it. Joaquin, I see it. I said, good. It's been many years. I'm glad you see it. Now let's see if you enter it. I'm glad you see it. Jordan, you see it. To enter it is what? Obedience. You could see it. But you'll never enter unless you are born of the water and of the spirit. Verse 5. No one can see in verse 3, but verse 5 says, no one can enter. I hope that you have that marked. Many people come to church, but they're not the church. They visit church, but their children know they have no pastor. They have no spiritual leader, no spiritual father, no obedience. They're not in the kingdom. And so in this sort, verse 6, Jesus says these words. He says, I'll tell you. That flesh gives birth to flesh, but to be born of the Spirit gives forth birth of the Spirit. When the Spirit comes alive, you'll know that you're living in the kingdom, that Jesus is your Lord and King, that you're an example, you're a subject, you're a citizen of that kingdom. Verse 7, you should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. This should not strike you as something bizarre. Verse 8. Should not be unusual. The wind blows wherever it pleases. And you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. It's a, it's a different life. It's a different structure. And the very foundations of the rule of law for those that are in faith is called family. We've, we've all been stricken. By governments that have been out of order. I was saying up there at the men's conference that... There, there are a whole host of men that hate dads. Their favorite verse in the Bible. Ready for this? This is their favorite verse. It says, don't call anyone father upon the earth. That's their favorite verse. Uh, Pastor, I struggle with this thing about fatherhood and family because the Bible says, don't call anybody father upon the earth. But the truth of the matter is that the spirit of the son causes you to acknowledge the father. Romans 8.15, you have not received the spirit of fear that takes you back to captivity. You're not scared to have a relationship with a dad. The spirit you receive does not make you captive to not 
walk in the ways that you desire so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received has brought you the adoption papers of a son. And by that spirit, we call out, Abba, Father. That's where it starts. We were talking about Moses on Wednesday, midweek Bible studies for those who love Jesus. And Moses shows up and he says, who am I? And who do I tell Pharaoh that you are? And he says, you tell Pharaoh that I'm the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The context of family comes up very quickly when you surrender to the kingdom. I'm going to say it again. The aspect of family becomes instant when you enter the kingdom. Some people don't like that. They've had such a bitter experience at family that they don't want to be a part of another one. Given the opportunity to be a part of a family, they'd rather not. I'll be part of a fraternity. I will be part of a club, an association. I will be part of some type of elite group. But don't put me in the context of family because that is too familiar. A man came here about five years ago. He says, I just left one church because they were into the theology of Calvinism. And I left my second church because they're into the doctrine of Armenian. And I said, sir, this is not going to be your good church here because here we are not theologians, we're a family. Here we are not in some ecclesiastical order. But we have acknowledged that we have one Father, God. And we, his sons, want to please him with all our hearts and be obedient. John chapter 8, verse 29, Jesus said these. And this was his example. He says, he who sent me is always with me. He's never left me alone. John 8, 29. The one who sent me, sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. And so the issue is, who do you aim to please? It depends what government you're a part of. It depends who you bow down to. It depends what, what group you call. Some of you will never be a part of any group because you are your own existence. Romans 1.21 says you profess to be wise, but your heart is darkened and become foolish. Although you know God, you don't acknowledge him as God. <clears throat> Nor are you thankful to him. And you become vain in your thoughts and foolish. And you become alienated and, and estranged and darkened. Verse 22. Although they claim to be wise, they're really just foolish. They're not part of the family of God. Ephesians 3.14, this man who has estranged himself and became a perfect theologian and zealous leader of God's people, Paul, he realized, wait a second, this is about an inheritance. And an inheritance comes to faithful sons. And so I'm going to be quick to bow my knees. That's what you do in a kingdom. You bow your knees. I kneel down for this reason because there's an inheritance before the Father. I'm not going to continue to be rebellious. Rebels don't dwell in a family. Either do orphans. Either do prodigal sons. 
But sons who have been adopted and bow their knee before the Father, verse 15, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family up in the heavens on earth derives its name. Verse 16, I pray out that out of the glorious riches he might strengthen you with the power through his spirit in an inner man. This, if, if the heart doesn't, you guys heard the story of Johnny, right? His teacher says, sit down, Johnny. No. Sit down, Johnny. No. Picked him up and sat him down. He says, you might see the outside I'm sitting down, but on the inside I'm standing up. And that's a lot of Christians. They come to church, they say they're sons of God, but their heart is standing up. They don't understand family, they don't understand submission, they don't understand obedience, they don't understand unity, they don't understand being integrated. I promise you one thing, on that day, when they stand before the Lord, they'll be affirmed and acknowledged, or they'll hear the most gruesome words that any man can hear, depart from me. You who didn't want to be part of the family. You who did not integrate. Let's stand this morning. These things need to be discerned. Not by the physical man. It's not what you see physically. It's what you see spiritually. To be able to acknowledge God the Father in the heavens. Is to be able to acknowledge that there is a family upon the earth. When Paul writes to Timothy... He says, listen, if there's one thing that I can leave you, it's how to be able to conduct yourself in the house of God. One of the things that that you need to grasp, 1 Timothy 3.15, these are the the biblical leaders of the day that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament is writing to his spiritual son, and he says, if I don't get there on time, if I can't get there, you, I write these things so you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's family. That's what that word means right there. Oikonomos is a Greek word. Oikonomos means where the family is governed, where the father's heart is. Where is that place? You repeat with me, in the church of the living God, which is the foundation of truth. This is what we do when we come to church. How can I become a faithful son? How can I become a faithful daughter? How can I learn how to obey, how to be humble, how to pursue his priorities? One of the things that my sons are telling me, and I know in my personal experience, but one of the, one of the things my sons who are 20 and 19 are telling me, they say, Dad, the most difficult thing upon the earth is to be a faithful son because it involves a lot of suffering, of denying my will. Of not doing what I want. There's no greater joy in the heart of a father than to have a son who obeys and is faithful. Unfortunately, many of us had parents that couldn't model that for us. One of the things I taught in Connecticut is that the previous generation is 
the hippie generation. The hippie generation decided they would rebel against family, against establishment, against government, and against order. Those were our fathers. But guess what? Joshua 24, 15, Joshua says, listen, you decide today if you're going to serve the God of your fathers on the other side of the river, the God of the Amorites that live for themselves. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're going to serve God. We're going to love family. We're going to be able to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. How? By this sample and model of our lives. You're not to be a prodigal, an orphan, disconnected, alienated. You're not supposed to jump from neighborhood to neighborhood. You be part of a family of God. And then you grow character in that place and receive the inheritance according to the vision of that house. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for giving us a spirit of excellence and a desire to be found blameless at your coming. Give us a heart not only to hear and to do. Give us a heart, Father God, that we desire above all things to be found right at your return. We know that what you've promised in Philippians 1.6, that he who started this good work will finish it. We have no qualms about the fact that you have decided to be a good father who gives good gifts that allow us to prosper and empower us to do your will. We pray that the spirit of adoption be strong in this house, that everyone desires to be a good son, a faithful son, an obedient son. We don't want to be sons of Satan, rebellious and disobedient and have our own way. We do not want to be part of that family of destruction. We pray that you have mercy upon us and that this coming week is the opportunity to share this reality to those that are outside of the family, to invite them to come be part of what you're doing upon the earth. We pray that your spirit fall upon all flesh and that each man is able to walk in the direction of your influence. So your coming is, is at hand and near, Lord. Our, we're waiting our redemption, O oh God, as what happens upon the earth becomes more chaotic and more dark, Lord. We want to be transformed from glory to glory. We want to be found in your presence with a heart that is pure, with a hand that is blameless. We pray, Father God, that you increase the kingdom in our lives and that Jesus become more Lord of our time, our talents, our treasures, of our body, our soul, and our spirit, of our th thoughts, our words, and our actions. We pray in Jesus' name, and the house of God says amen, amen, and amen.